Hello, everybody. Welcome to a very special episode 61 of the Design Exec Club Town Halls. Joining me are some of the smartest up-and-coming designers in the world. This is our next generation group where we, in if you may think back a little while ago in one of our series, we've got the next generation from all around the world. We've got rid of the uh, masterful designers that are around them. We've brought them all together and we're going to go have a, a conversation here about standards and excellence. And what's really interesting there is that they mean very different things depending where you're up to, up to in your career. Um, when we talk about standards, we want to go talk about what are standards and how do they work in our life? And when we want to talk about excellence, we want to say, well, what is excellence and how do you go frame that? Um, I'm going to actually suggest that maybe uh, India, I'm going to pull you out here because I know that the team at K20 where you are, that you do lots of stuff, which is excellent. And you also have lots of standards that you need to apply yourself to. Give us an idea of what standards and excellence means to you. Thanks, Mark. Uh, well, I think standards and excellence can sometimes be quite opposing ideas um, in the field of architecture. So we have a lot of standards that we need to meet in terms of building compliance and everything. And then in terms of excellence, we're really trying to push those boundaries, do things not just better, but different, you know, um, not when, when you talk about excellence, you can have in architecture an excellent building, but it's not really excellent to do it twice. <laughs> so you, you want to push those boundaries and see what you can do differently. That's a great architectural outcome, but it's also, you know, trying things with new materials, new sustainable initiatives and things like that, which when you compare it to standards, you're really um, having to, to try and find ways of meeting standards that still allow you to push the boundaries. So we often have this thing in buildings called deemed to satisfy compliance, which is the easiest and cheapest route to, to meet standards for buildings. Uh, but a lot of sustainable initiatives, especially if you're looking at using timber, for example, don't allow you to do the deed to satisfy and you need to follow a new route um, to meet the standard, which involves a lot more um, intensive uh, and investigative work in coordination with a lot of consultants. So... so <laughs> I think it's fair because the way that you referred to that there, it's like standards are the floor and the excellence is the ceiling, and there's this spectrum between them that your project is going to move. Is, is, is that a fair summary for what you what you just framed? Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it, Mark, because the standard is the minimum that everyone needs to achieve to get their building off the ground. And the excellence is taking those standards and, and making them more. So, Elliot, I'm going to throw across to you when you hear the word standards and you hear the word excellence, what does that mean to you? What does that frame in your mind? I really like the Indian definition of um, yeah, standards and when you strike by excellence. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I, 
for me, it's more like how Plato, you know, the philosopher Plato did it. He basically said that we can't achieve excellence because we're mortal, we're humans. So we should strive for it as much as possible to achieve perfection, even though we can't achieve it. So it's more, yeah, striving to get there, even though we can't get there. Yeah. And so that redefines what excellence is then. We, we had in the last, um, uh, it was the Asian town hall when we were talking about excellence and uh, it was Adrian Battersby. He turned around and he referred to an Aristotle quote, which I love all the quotes that people come out and go, how the hell does Aristotle get into a design conversation about excellence? But apparently Aristotle's got this quote that excellence is actually, it's a practice that you participate in. And you're right that perfection is something that we can't do, but it's actually how do you make sure that you're continually improving, which talks to what Indy was saying about you can't do the same building twice and consider it excellent because it was excellent the first time. The second time, it's a replica. You haven't pushed it further. Your practice hasn't taken you further. So I think, I th I think that's a pretty, uh, pretty smart little insight that you've got there about we can't be perfect, and that's a really important thing for us to focus on. Xanthi, help us out. What does excellence and what do standards mean to you? Um, so when when you said about the floor and the ceiling law, um, I agree with that. But so I kind of see standards as like the, I think India even said, like almost the bare minimum in terms of it's almost a collective view that this is the absolute bare minimum we should allow for whether it's standards in a building or just standards in I don't know everyday life but the ceiling for me is which I don't see is almost a fixed parameter I think that because I think excellence is subjective so much like I guess design and architecture is so for me the floor should always be the floor but the ceiling for one person excellence might be here or for one situation it might be here but in another situation, excellence could be up here. I think, yeah, that's almost how I vision these two. Yeah, and, 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 and I think the, the, the reference that you've got that the ceiling actually has no bounds, that it, it can be pushed, that, that's a good reference. We also see a lot of design practices who have their own standards, which are beyond the minimum regulations. And, and so the idea of floor can also be elevated as well which is that might be acceptable. And I know for some of the projects that India's practice does, K20, they actually, they don't get specified some of the sustainable factors that they put into the buildings. They just put them in by stealth because they're the practice standards, not necessarily what the client specified that they were after. So I think that's really interesting that you need to understand what's a compliance minimum, what's actually something which is practice standard, and the third group that comes in is what are corporate standards? And those corporate standards might be that you've got a brand and the brand says, well, we're a seven-star hotel and so our standards are that it has to be right up here, whereas the three-star hotel might just be meeting the minimum legislative requirements in there. Um, uh, Stefan, help me out here. Your world's a little bit different to architecture and interior design. So what are standards to you and, uh, and what's excellence? Great, thanks, Mark. Um, so I come from an engineering background. Um, and so I do agree with that point of um, excellence being that ceiling and then the standards being the floor. But how I see it, it's a rubber band effect uh, because every day you see in, in technical design and things like that, where 
the excellence of one day becomes the standard of the next and it just keeps pushing each other and it's a rubber band effect to keep growing up. And something that I'm seeing now in my current work, so I'm working for a manufacturing company um, and we do adhesives and my big point is safety. And so now I see standard as excellence and they're the same, they're one and the same because our standard is zero accidents and that's that's considered excellence. And so it, it, it's very interesting how you see how you define excellence and there's a lot of components um, looking at KPIs, not looking at vanity metrics. Um, and so that's a very interesting conversation and something very interesting I'm being part of right now. Okay, so help me out there about the concept of vanity metrics. That's the first time that's been mentioned. Yeah, um, so for vanity metric, metrics, uh, something that we say in our company, um, zero accidents is a vanity metric. It's something that looks good. Um, for example, I don't know if it's a company, then maybe just put the profits number um, and that's something that just looks good. Um, there's a lot of different metrics that you can look at. So for us, for example, if I take safety as in, as a specific example, um, vanity metric is zero accidents. A real KPI that we track off and see how good we are is, for example, the number of um, observations we take, the number of buy-in, the percentage of buy-in of our operators that is actually participating in all of the initiatives. Um, and that tells us how good we are and how good we are progressing and how good we're improving. Mm -hmm. And vanity metrics are going to be something very interesting because you could all high five around the room saying, well, yeah, we're achieving the vanity metrics, but maybe that's actually something as I think uh, it was Anthony was talking about the idea that they're contextual, that the standards that you're setting may not have a relevance outside the bubble that you're in. That's the problem of a vanity metric rather than having some cachet beyond the group that you're immediately involved in. And, that, and that's going to be important to work out how to, how to make that work there. Lucy, help me out with what standards and excellence are to you. Hi. Uh, yeah, I sort of feel similarly uh, to Stefan's point about the, the elasticity and referring to it as an elastic band in the way that We've also spoken about it being the floor and the ceiling, but I think that's something that comes with a meaning of adaptability. So standards, I think, have key sort of goals and, and aims of requirements that have to be met. But for excellence, I sort of see that more in the way of an ethos or a methodology, a, a thought process. And I think how the two can sort of work in tandem, but also differently, that can pose some, some really exciting um, sort of projects. Nice and succinct. And I think you're right there that the that gets back to the Aristotle side about the idea, the ethos, it's the practice, it's how, it's how do we consider this. And, and I suppose it's going to be hard to go and detail what excellence is that if you're being onboarded into a practice that that's one of the more difficult things is to, to understand what excellence is because probably everyone knows what excellence is because of that rubber band effect that, you know, they're seeing it ratchet up. It's not going to necessarily be documented. And as a young person coming into a practice, that's going to be hard to work that one out. So, so we, as we go through this, I'm going to dig into what do we think would be the questions you'd ask to go work that out? So we'll, we'll come back to that one there. Vivian, tell me, because Tiger Spike, that you guys do amazing projects, both for corporate and for government clients, they must have very strict standards that they're after, but there's also excellence that you achieve. 
tell me what it means to you. Mm, yeah, from my role, I get to talk to a lot of like engineers and designers and all, all across the board. Um, what I find for excellence is that there's no, doesn't, it's not really a matter of whether you meet the standard or you go above the standard, it's just how you went about it. Uh, so if you like collaborate with somebody else new or you learned something new and you could show that you learned something new or you're teaching the clients a new way of doing things, um, whether you do any of these aspects, it's just that to me is, is excellence. Mm. Again, we're getting to a very succinct definition here. <laughs> so, so there's also one of the things that's really interesting as people who are on a panel. I've gone and given some framing from when we were speaking about uh, with India, which was about the floor and the ceiling, which has given you some reference that a lot of you are confirming that reference rather than necessarily even challenging the reference or coming up with your with your own reference so it's a really important thing as you as we are talking that you actually can say well I've, I've also got a different way that I'd spin the model I think if there's anybody in a panel here that is used to spinning models sideways and then coming up with something is Maria help us out what standards and excellence are for you because in New York everything has to be spun sideways to them to make some sense doesn't it yes Speaking of spinning around sideways, my dog is having going crazy right below my chair. So pardon the sound. Um, and also she's like attacking my foot. So sorry, I keep squirming. Um, <laughs> can probably hear that. Um, it's the morning here, so she's going crazy. Um, yes, basically, as everyone else has previously touched on, I feel like um, standards are like the bare minimum. So across the board, what we need to do for, you know, occupant safety. Um, but that has obviously been changing and that once, um, you know, sustainability initiatives were just a form of excellence to achieve. Um, but now when we're discovering that um, there's also, you know, the planet's safety and the occupant health safety that then similar to the elastic band point that someone brought up before, um, the standards then shift in order to um, include, you know, um, environmental standards and um, occupant health standards. And what standard do you think your dog's got? I'm going for. I know. Sorry. Can you hear that? Oh, we can, we can hear it. It's fantastic. <laughs> I think I think what we're seeing here is. That as a dog owner, you're failing in the excellence of taking your dog for a walk this morning. I, th I think exactly. that's exactly exactly. I had to send something out this morning, and her walk will be right after this. So, so you are right that there's there's that tension between minimums compliance, and we actually had, and I think it was Julie. Yeah, it was Julie Monk uh, who was talking about some of her hotel clients where it was so difficult uh no uh, no it wasn't jolly i'll come to it in a moment it was uh christine let me think uh, who it was but it was about hotel clients who were turning around and that the minimum standards that they had was all that they could get the management to approve and so the imagination of the project was whatever we've got in our corporate style guideline is all you can do. It was, it was both the minimum and the ceiling, which as designers was a very complex thing because 
there wasn't an appetite to go innovate or change. There was no latitude in the in those corporate standards for them to get that that you know never-ending silly that Xanthi talked about. They they couldn't explore that, and so that became very frustrating for them. And that's some of the things that come up in projects, which is that you're caught with the people who are your client contacts may not have the permission to go and actually imagine that there's a ceiling beyond the corporate standards in there. So I think that's very important. Aquila, help us out here. Um, uh, what are standards and what is excellence to you? Um, I think standards and excellence go hand in hand. And, and when you are striving to achieve excellence, you, you keep pushing that boundary, you keep pushing uh, to the potent, highest potential and, and rewrite our standards, which leads to, to a greater level of um, excellence. But I think when it comes to standards and um, this design standards, you know, RIBA and ARB, they, they set the minimum benchmark for standards. And in fact, it's one of the highest in the world. And I think it's, it's important for us as designers, architects, adhere and follow these standards. Otherwise, you know, you, you get appalling social housing exploitation and, and look at, I don't know, for example, Grenfell Tower that happened in 2017. Um, standards were not being met and, and they, they were not being followed and it caused a huge amount of um, tenants issues and, and people are scared to use that that external cladding and look at what Miami um the building um 55 out of uh, 136 apartment collapsed because you know um again standards were not being met and and no one did anything about it to to meet this minimum requirement and and it's 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 really shocking it's it's really staggering um because at the end of the day, it's it's within um, you know it's people's life in our hand, and it's such a huge responsibility as designers and architects, because we 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 need to design a better and a safe environment, and it affects people both physically and, and emotionally. So I think um, standards and excellence go hand in hand. You know, you need to consider both simultaneously. Yeah, and I, and I'm really glad that you've brought up there the two disasters that were associated with standards not being adhered to. Yes. And in both, in both those cases, there was foreknowledge that there was a lack of compliance. Yeah. But there wasn't an urgency to protect the people who were in a circumstance where compliance didn't exist. Now, it, you know, it's a, if we go think of the Grenville fires that we... We knew that the fire safety wasn't there and it was a team. Mm. Um, it appears that the same thing was for the Miami apartment block. And that says that there's a role that regulators have to go and bring a, an order for the immediate evacuation of the building because it, it lacks compliance. But there's pressures that are put on people who are those regulators not to go do that to not arrest something that may be dangerous. And I think what we've seen with COVID is that there's actually a lot of people don't get into trouble or don't get um, either they don't lose their job, they don't get um, charged with incompetence, they don't get put in jail, they don't for not doing things which we know are the minimum standards for safety. And 
And I'm not sure that we're learning how to handle that process. If anything, what we're learning is how you get away with it, not how mm. to go and enforce the standards that aren't being met. Charmy, I want to go across to you as our as our uh, bringing us home on the end of this opening round around the panel. What are excellence and standards to you? When I read your uh, description, I thought that for me, it's my personal opinion that standard and excellence are very interconnected. I will raise my standard and my excellence will go high. And um, sometimes um, my, my teacher always used to say, whenever I used to do any work during my college days, they always used to say that uh, we always, every year we change our standard. So to achieve that particular kind of excellence. So I think so it goes hand in hand for me. Yep. personally like currently if you you have given a wonderful example of covid we couldn't meet our standard of just hygiene that was a standard it was a basic we were taught since first class like first standard but we couldn't meet that standard and currently we are facing this so yeah it looks like we've just been failed by the standard of your internet connection there for a moment charmy um, we'll pick you up uh, when you join us again, but you are right that there, we knew that there were hygiene standards that we should have been adhering to. We knew that there were face mask standards that we were achieving to. Um, you just broke up there for us. It looks like you're back now. Um, you were yeah. saying that those standards were things that uh, failed. Uh, so, yeah, so I'm an interior designer and uh, sometime uh, during interior designer, we first uh, place our focus on plan because a plan is a standard thing, it's a functional, it has to be functional. Maybe standard, uh, the designing is the second part and the function will always stay there. So I think, so that's a difference. So for me, it goes hand in hand. Yeah, and I think uh, in many places in the world, there's been hotel quarantine that's been put in place. And mm. hotel quarantine was, oh, we can work out how to go people separated from each other and they should be okay that we won't get cross infection and then the first variant <laughs> came around and it was a bit of an issue the second variant came around by the time we got to the delta variant we found that that cross infection between hotel rooms it it was now a given it wasn't it might happen it was actually definite it will happen and and so there, I think, is a very interesting case of an escalating um, risk that hasn't, and the standard hasn't been upgraded. And collectively across the world, it's understood hotels are really good for holiday makers and business people. They're not good as infection prevention wards. You know, none of us, if we were planning a, an infection prevention environment, we'd put the type of heating and ventilation system that you put into a hotel. It would be a very different standard. So we've, we've got an interesting thing. Governments around the world still believe that hotel quarantine is acceptable, yet we know that it fails the standard for the type of barrier and infection protection. And, and it's a little bit like the Grenville and also the Miami example. People aren't getting into trouble. Their careers aren't ending because they're making these very detrimental decisions. And I think that's a very interesting thing. Will, you've been listening here diligently what, what are your thoughts? Uh, thanks, Mark. Listen, it's fantastic to hear uh, all of these views and the different range of perspectives, different applications of standards and excellence. 
it's it's an interesting kind of comparison, isn't it, between uh, a condo building which has collapsed, uh, obviously a disastrous kind of situation, all the way through to kind of trying to restrain a, a virus. And it strikes me that one of the issues around standards and I suppose excellence is the varying nature of them, how long these things last, and actually who's really setting them. And I guess, in a way, one of the questions that would be really interesting to hear from uh, the panel is, you know, where do you seek that inspiration? Where does that excellence, who's setting the excellence uh, from your perspective? And how can you improve things like standards? Because many of the standards that we have to comply to are not necessarily, uh, they're ill-informed. It's very difficult to kind of keep them up to date with how um, material innovation uh, changes, how design processes change, how uh, quantifiable aspects of a design process um, need to be updated. So I think there's a kind of lag there, which is one of the questions I ask is, are they frustrating? But in some ways, the more kind of progressive view is where do the panel get their inspiration from? Who's setting the bar? Is it is that a kind of cultural thing? Is that do you manage to source that internally at your studios? Do you look at your peers, uh, or is it a kind of media sources? Who's 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 setting the who's setting those standards that you really want to uh, kind of pursue? Now, who wants to be the the first person to kick this off? I think Vivian, you look like you've uh, you, you've been moving in your chair as Will was talking there. I think you've got something. Um. Yeah, I was thinking about this earlier. Um, I feel like standards is something that um, is inside the business is based upon the business goals, right? So if the business has these goals that how they want to look and how they want their culture to look, they would have that reflected in their values. So if the company values, um, they've been like perfectly curated to create um, what the intentions, what they intend their employees look like. So let's say like one of our company values is um, to have an inquisitive nature so then you can have more innovative opinions. Uh, so we try to hire people who may like have a similar, may fit into that value, but uh, not necessarily, but if they do fit in the value, it links back to the company's eventual goals. Uh, so I think having broad but specific values uh, in, within the business is a good way to work towards um, these like drive excellence, right? So, so then that must mean that they saw something in you that meant that you were probably going to have this inquisitive mind. <laughs> I'm not sure, but I, I hope so. <laughs> so if you've got an inquisitive mind, and we'll come, we'll come back to Will's point in a moment, but you've got an inquisitive mind, you're in a meeting, how do you present that you think that there's an that you can lift that ceiling on excellence. How, do you feel that's something that you can pitch or is that something that you feel that as one of the less senior designers that you have to wait your turn or have you got the opportunity to speak your voice? I think, um, yeah, speaking your voice no matter your position is showing that value through and through. And um, I think also openness um, from the seniors to you can show you can give you the opportunity to be more um to have your say as well so you've um uh, you've put a, a a point here where you said that you you agreed with me so i've got to go and throw to you because uh yeah, that's such a nice thing to say but um what helps you as far as uh, the standards go do they help you to expand what you're doing with that rubber band to keep moving up or do you get to a point where the increments are so small that it's hard to work out are you just complying or are you extending? 
Uh, thanks, Mark. Um, I think where when I talk about excellence, I think coming from a customer perspective, um, it comes about expectations. So one way I think about excellence is when you exceed expectations and how do you, and that becomes like later on becomes with that rubber band effect becomes your standard later on. And so how do you even raise up your level of excellence? Um, it's to know what your customers are expecting. How do you do that? Getting inputs um, and you can also get inputs from your teams because your teams might also be the people that, if your team don't even wanna buy your product, who else is gonna wanna buy your product, right? Um, and so one way that um, I'm thinking of getting more, more inputs or better inputs rather than just, okay, that's good, that's bad, that's, that's trash, that's trash input. Um, and what we do is a model we call keep, start and stop. Um, something that we do, um, basically at the end of the meeting, what should we keep doing? Okay, that gives everyone's good vibes. Um, people will get appreciations, things like that. You're doing things well. What should we stop then? That's when the negative stuff comes in. Uh, what should we start, sorry? Um, that's when the inputs come in um, because everyone has a, is in a good mental state. And at the end, you close off with anything negative. Okay, let's stop this. Let's not do this anymore. And with that, we get a lot of positive feedback. We got a lot of implementable feedback. Um, and I think that's a way you can raise your level of excellence and so on your standards as well. So with that process there, it sounds like it's a highly rational process that it's, that it's this, is, this is better, this is worse. <laughs> so let's keep doing the better, not doing the worse. What happens if somebody's ego is holding on to the thing that's worse? How do you, how do you deal with that? How do you let that go? Yeah, I think it just becomes, it's important to set the, the expectations when you come into the meeting, everyone at the same mindset. Um, and I think it comes to that cycle, that, that circular um, thing between excellence and standards. You have to come in with the same mindset. Everyone has the same standards. Um, everyone has the same mindset. You come in um, knowing like we're here to improve and what does improving mean? And so everyone has to understand that to the same level. Um, so that everyone's egos maybe hold on to it. Um, you can address it and just be honest, candid. Uh, being candid with each other is a really important part in those kinds of meetings. And so we just have to develop that skill. Not, not all of us have that to begin with. It's just something we have to continuously improve and that's, that's excellence, I guess. Yep, no, that's a good description there. Santhi, how about for you? You know, um, how do you go and consider the standards? Are they getting in your way or are they giving you the platform to launch to, you know, explore what that ceiling is? Yeah, so I was going to say, um, I come from more product design background as opposed to architecture or interior. So when we've been talking about standards, I've actually been kind of... Uh, replacing the word standards and in my mind it's more kind of the design parameters so as if you were to do the design research and then therefore what are we designing for what are the parameters and then we go forward so I've almost yeah been been seeing standards as not regulations and standards but a design brief and almost okay who's the user what are we designing for um so with William's question of do you find standards frustrating, I think no, because that's in my mind what creates the brief. That's why you design. There's 
you know, there's something to design for and it would be wrong if we were designing for the sake of it. So the standards almost direct you and give the, you those parameters of what we can design within. And then the second question of, do they get in the way of the creativity? I think, no, they fuel it, if anything else, or at least they should, because that's the almost the problem solving aspect of design, which I'm sure we all enjoy about, about the industry that we're in. You're kind of given, even if these standards or parameters are quite difficult to work with, I think that's almost how you squeeze out these, in some cases, obviously excellent results. Like without them, it's, I don't think the design would go down the same route. Yep. And well, that is brilliant to go think about, about the design brief being a standard in itself. We haven't actually had that come up out of any of the other people who have been speaking about this. So, so you know, hat tilted to you because you're 100% right. There are things like a CE mark if you're going to be plugging something into an electrical socket. You know, there's... Uh, there's TUV if you're trying to go have something and that has to do with safety in there. There's those standards. But then you've also got just the standard of it has to do this for us and it has to work. I imagine if you're making something for a brand like Aldi, it's got to go fit in with Aldi's expectations. I'll have a, a telephone book full of things that they need to... Oh, sorry, that's an old reference, isn't it? A telephone book. That used to be a thing where we put numbers and names and people looked them up. You probably don't know about that, all you, all you young people. But, you know, it's like they had a lot of paper that was actually going to go describe it there. So that's a, a really important thing to go consider. Elliot, um, help us out here. Does the idea of having a standard, does that launch your creativity or does it hold it back? Um, I would pr probably say that we should, yeah, no, I don't think it's, we can't talk about the standard anymore, about, you know, striving for excellence and everything, because standards always change and uh, excellence definition changes all the time. So it's more about your willingness to adapt to all of that. So if you adapt to every standard, if you rethink or restructure um, each time a new standards occur, and you're more flexible when rule changes and rules like redefine what your standards are. I think that's a better approach to be able to yeah, to do anything. If you can readapt yourself to every standards and every, yeah, that's a better, yeah, being willingness to be open to re-question re what a standard is and what excellence is, I think that's better than saying that oh, we standards and excellence push each other. But if you're not open to push, it, push yourself to change what excellence is, um, that excellence won't change and yeah. you're not growing. One of the things that we see in the award nominations as we're going through and we're doing the jury rounds is you see these projects where the elements disappear as elements and they just become one. And it's really interesting. So rather than being discrete components, they've just kind of melded in together and they've just become this one unit. And it might be an interior designer, it might be an industrial designer, it might be a digital design, but you can just see it's like there's a harmony that comes in with that excellence in there, which, which is obviously well beyond what the standards are because the standards are very discrete. Whereas that unison that comes in is very interesting that we're sitting there. 
Um, Aquila, we've um, we've seen several projects from your studio that that fit that definition. You know, I think of some workplaces that I've seen that have come through the studio, and they go well beyond the elements that are in the that have been combined in the space, and they become a whole rather than just being the elements in there. Are the standards actually helping to inspire you and actually push beyond, or are they actually giving you um, that's what compliance is? We'll just go deliver to that. Um. I think, I think standards are there for us to make sure that we, we're designing a, a building that is safe and, um, you know, uh, avoid um, hazards um, happening. And I think we, we as designers are aligned, we, we do try to push um, to the highest potentials we can, you know, um, by, by exceeding clients' expectation and, and give them that wow factor. Um, but I, I also think that um, excellence uh, needs to be achieved in working together with the client. And I think it's such a huge part, huge part in, in designing. And, and when we set standards from the beginning, not you know, stage three or stage four, um, I think that's really fundamental so that it doesn't get left behind. It's been thought throughout um, the project. Um, and yeah, I think it goes back again to having that honesty and integrity, uh, which is part of the codes of conduct. And then you're protecting your client, protecting their money, protecting their ethos. And, and that, is, that is key. Um, but I think at the moment, uh, due to COVID, it's, it's uh, more about you know, topics that are really uh, topical is sustainability. And I think we are... Um, trying to push our clients towards that sustainability and, and try to, to encourage them to use it as much as we can in, in the project. And um, having achieved, um, trying to achieve that excellence on a personal level, uh, I think having great mentorship and, and support is also very important. As, as a young designer myself, um, you know, I've been quite lucky with the line because we're such a small company and, and I, I can get a heavily involved in, in projects uh, from start to finish and also have more responsibilities. And, and you know, I've learned so much from Govinda and Nigel, um, my directors, and, and every day is a school day. So just have to keep pushing yourself and, and there's always room for improvement. So, yeah, expectations, definitely key and also clients. Yeah, and uh, and so I think, and you brought up about sustainability there. What's interesting about sustainability and our zero carbon desires? If you look at the pace of change that's coming in there for standards, you know, it was let's see if we can achieve the twenty twenty goal, then the twenty thirty, and then all of a sudden it got accelerated. Let's let's go from you know a reduction for uh, the the Kyoto and then the Copenhagen. All, uh, the Paris, and all of a sudden it was, let's go for, to net zero. And that was this quantum leap that was in there. And all of a sudden, as Anthony was saying and, and our, um, Stefan was saying, you, you've got this idea that the rubber band, net zero was actually there. And actually beyond zero is, is what the next ceiling is. It actually is, how do we go make energy positive buildings 
that are actually going to turn around and enhance the opportunities that we have. There's a, there's a fantastic um, spotlight that we went and did with Ronnie Peters um, from Hyperloop Transport Technologies. And Ronnie talks about how the Hyperloop Transport Technology tubes that they have are energy positive. They've got so much surface area that they're generating so much solar power that they can, they can actually feed back into the grid and actually make power available for, for the rest of the country. And you go, now that's interesting that they've got a project which isn't just demanding of the electricity grid, it's now actually in generation plant that's adding to the grid. There's a guy, Ross Harding, that we've just done a spotlight with, we've launched that this week. I'll put a link into it. And Ross has got a project called um, uh, A New Normal. And what it does is it takes 15 architectural projects that then change what the new normal from a sustainability perspective is in Melbourne. And those projects in Melbourne wind up having a $100 billion economic impact to the city over a 10-year period. Now, that's as big as rail infrastructure. I know in London that you have the Crossrail project. It's of that size that this project is in, in the Melbourne economy. And it's all sustainable projects. So what he's done by publishing this guide is he's now taken the, that minimum, he's lifted the floor up, and that's what's going to keep happening. That floor is always going to be lifted up so that you've got a new standard there. Now, interestingly, the technical standards that people need to comply to often lag behind. And so you, what you have is that practices that are experts in sustainable practice, and, I th and I'm looking you at India at what the guys at K20 are doing, is that there's excellence that's happening there and that they're raising the bar. But there may be other areas where a practice needs to upgrade itself, such as maybe around the conduct of its staff and that they may need to be able to turn around and say, well, maybe as being the most preferred place for people to work, that they need to up that standard as well. So it might be that you can do one standard, a technical standard, but the cultural standards take a period of time and it's going to be a seesaw because there's multiple values that take place there. Lucy, help me out here. You've been living in between two parts of the world over the last 12 months. Did the standards in the different locations inspire yeah. you, frustrate you, or did they actually say, oh, it's not much difference, it was a bit meh? <laughs> no, it's Thank you. Yeah, so I was I was off, um, yeah, living living between well the the Canaries and I'm traditionally based in London. And yeah, over that time, I mean, it, it was a big adaptation for for us. I was still able to work digitally, which was which was great. Um, but yeah, it was it was I was definitely faced with a time of of adaptation there. I mean, it it was fairly open. The the space and the landscape was was open. We could visit many places. And I think for the rest of the world, it was very much not like that. So there, there were challenges around that as well and reflecting and working with people in, in London and sort of seeing the, the cultural arts scene as well. So museums and galleries still having to, to stay closed during that period was something that, that we missed greatly. And I think for, for us at, at Cluster, so I, I work in the events um, between art and design uh, I think for us sort of reflecting on our standards and, and excellence was something that, that we did very much have to adapt to 
And I think because we are a smaller organization, we had that flexibility and, and scope in order to do so. Um, and we started to, to observe from, from Will's point as well, looking at standards and how we reflect on those and really what we think about it. I mean, we, we were looking at open walkthroughs from Hauser and Worth and Loewe and those being quite successful digital means to, to showcase work. But for us, perhaps we didn't have the, the digital scope to do those types of projects. So it was really reflecting both on what larger organizations were doing to adapt and on what scope we had uh, to still engage our, our audience and our artists in, in new ways. And what, what I liked that you brought up there was that you were talking about that you don't always get everything that we know that's available. You know, there's, that as you were moving in those different contexts, that you knew that there were some things that were standard for other people uh, with capacities, but in where you found yourself in the last 12 months, you, were, you didn't have all those resources. You didn't have all of that potential. And I think that's a very important thing to, to yeah. reflect on projects is that if you don't have the resources, you have to work within the parameters that you've got and not feel that you're less than yep. the project. It's actually, these are the resources that we've got. It might be time, it might be money, it might be circumstance, and then see what excellence you can come up with because you don't always get every resource that you could imagine in there, which is, which is a very interesting thing. Um, uh, I'm gonna go, India, help us out here because you guys at uh, K20, I see the work that you do and I'm impressed by it, but for you personally, how does that work for you? Are you finding that it's actually inspiring you, constraining you or confounding you? Uh, I think there's lots of, lots of levels and references for excellence, you know, personal, company-wide, greater um, peers in the profession. Um, but something that's um, probably quite, uh, highly discussed in our practice is excellence for the practice versus excellence for the client. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the client may not be looking for the same outcomes that you're looking for in terms of what you want to produce as an architect or a company. And I think that's probably representative of many um, design fields, but, um, you know, just... Stefan sort of touched on it earlier, like, you know, he's talking about as a, um, a consumer, what's really valuable to him. And one of the really big things about that is like a smooth process, clear communication on time, and they, they meet the brief. Mm -hmm. um, whereas for an architect or, or at least at our company, you know, it's obviously we want to meet those requirements. Um, and be excellent in the client's eyes, but it's also about, you know, creating a really amazing design. What's the human experience going to be like? What impact does it have on the environment? And so on. So excellence um, can be many, many things, even for the same person or for the same company. Uh, it can be hard to achieve sometimes. And it it can be frustrating if you're if you're really wanting to to push for that 
Um, but, you know, your time or your resources or what you touched on earlier, you know, you don't have that. But um, I think in the long term, if you as a, a person a person or you as a company can set those excellence goals as minimum standards potentially for at the start of the project and you meet those, then it's usually well worth it. Yep. No, I appreciate that. Charmy, you now you were so polite, you put your hand up, you're gonna be next anyway, but help us help us out here. Where's it fit for you? Um Currently, I'll, I'll just give current example that our company has changed many standard rules for us. And to be honest, we have every day, we have come up with a very creative ideas to bend that rule. Every day, someone is coming with a completely new idea to bend that rule and get successful with the sales. So, um, so I, so, so for me, it's like, um, yeah, it, it is currently not affecting uh, my creativity at all, because in fact, with the standard given, I'm becoming more creative and I'm trying to achieve the excellence. Yeah, because this, uh, uh, the creativity is a personalized thing. So everybody has a different point of view for uh, doing things in a different way. And that, yeah, draws to excellence. So yes, same. Uh, thank you for that. Um, Maria, we're going to throw it to you, but we need to see the dog. Come on, or have you, or have you put the dog outside? Um, I live in an apartment building. It's New York, so the dog is very much not outside. She's wrapped in the Juliet Balcony, and there's this dog pressed up on the door of the Juliet Balcony. I, I, I don't know. Look at her. Okay, because we want to find out what excellence is for this puppy here. If you're going to oh. something and there's a puppy in the background, you've got to bring it into the frame, don't you? This is there we go. Okay. So for anybody who is listening and you've been wondering what the grunting noise are when Maria is there, that's what's responsible, that fantastic, uh, fantastic can on there. So how about for you? Last year, you did a fantastic project that was to do with rethinking um, uh, outdoor eating spaces for some venues. You would have been challenged with standards, but you wound up helping them to go do something amazing. So obviously it lifts you up. Is that easy or is it hard to have your voice come out and to, and to discuss those ideas? Um, about doing the um, like reoccupancy during lockdown of like restaurants and bars. Um, well, I had the great mentorship of Rick Bell um, and that ended up being um, because of his mentorship, not um, a scary or daunting process, rather a very educational one. Um, but it, I definitely would not have been able to do it without his guidance. Um, he has a lot of experience um, in giving presentations like that um, on occupancy. And so um, having him kind of like frame it out and then being able you know, to do research for it was a great educational opportunity. So I'm going to just pause us there for a moment. We're going to come back to you on there. Give me a show of hands, all the people who have an active mentor or multiple mentors that you talk to. You got mentors? Yeah, two, three, four, five. Okay. So for the couple of you that don't have mentors there, I highly recommend you get one because, because as we just heard Maria talk, that this mentor who was a, a practice 
specialist as well, was able to then go and help unlock some things that then made a, a golden path for the opportunity that she had to go work on. But then there's another part that comes up, which is as you go through your professional career, you're going to have your own personal standards that will be challenged. If you've got a mentor, you've got somebody that you can go have a call with, send some messages to, to check in about the calibration that you've got there, because that's part of you thriving and, and moving on as a professional there. So Maria, you've, you've got this scenario that you're working in, you've got Riku's opening up the opportunity for you. How free did you feel that your voice was able to be heard and that you, and that you had a platform to go work on? Um, very free. The, the clients uh, were very um, just desperate for answers on what to do during lockdown in order to, you know, be able to still run their business. And so they were willing to hear any idea. Um, so the ideas we provided were like a massive range of things from um, just kind of like simple like plastic installed between tables to like these kind of like millwork stairs coming around the from the window down to the street level. Um, and yeah, so it, it was a very, um, in that regards, I think there was a lot of freedom. And then in terms of platform, um, well, the Rick being, um, in charge of the Center for Buildings and um, Construction at um, Columbia, it was, there was that platform of having um, those weekly virtual lectures that we were then able to um, share the work um, okay. that I listened in on. So the mentor role here and collaborator mentor gave you a lot of charge which probably meant that that ceiling was able to be lifted, lifted up higher because some of the things that would normally be crushing down your ideas were taken away. And there was actually more of that latitude to go do things. And so I really encourage you all to think of, you know, there's multiple mentors that you'll have. And, and you know, the different mentors that you have, some of them might be a project mentor. They might be somebody who's in the technical department. The best people you can actually have mentors with are the people in finance. The people in finance who can say, I can help you make this come about. You think there's a financial problem here. I know how to actually go unlock some of those financial constraints for you, which you normally wouldn't think about. You know, financial people are awesome because they know how to move money and create money that most of us would go get lost with. So I'm going to come home here with, uh, we'll do a wrap up round and I want to go through everybody really quickly. Help me out. Is there anything that we actually have or haven't covered here? Tell me about the dilemmas of your personal standards. Tell me about, uh, about what's going on here. Or tell me about what you've learned. Zanthi, let's start with you. Um. In terms of learning a lot, because we've got the privilege of being on here and listening to everyone have so many different perspectives on things. Um, remind me, Mark, one of the, the middle questions, was it that I have any challenges? 
Yeah, so so what are there challenges around standards for you? Is are your voice not being heard? Is it that you don't you haven't got the chance to speak up, or have you not got a Rick Bell in your back pocket that's going to help you to just get a golden path to no, go and make everything happen? I have to say, um, from in terms of like a personal level, yeah, I think my voice is definitely heard. Um, we're quite a, a fairly small business um, in terms of members, so I think. I think somebody else has already mentioned this, but there's definitely a benefit there um, when that's the case, because a smaller team, you kind of, you, you do have a bigger platform to have your voice heard and have more input on bigger projects where maybe in a bigger organisation, you wouldn't almost have that opportunity um, at our position. So no, I, I have no challenges in, in that respect. I definitely, um, my voice is heard, I think. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So Stefan, help us out here um, for you. What have what do we need to cover off before we finish? Well, I think that's something I put in the chat before, um, but it's the trouble I have is standards on matters perspective. Um, if you we all buy in that that theory of multiverse, um, someone's what someone considers excellent is maybe standard or even substandard for someone else, um, and it all lives in the same universe multiverse um, and so that's really difficult especially in matters of like personal standards um, and when you build that to the next level team standards that's incredibly difficult and that's something i'm learning as a management trainee every single day i'm trying to manage operator that's a uh, 10 20 30 years older than me more experienced than me um, it's a constant struggle and and so and you're right there because there's a power factor thing there about you suggesting that maybe something they're masterful in could be done in a different way. There, and if there's a big age gap there, that can be that can be complex. But I think one of the interesting things is you're a salesman. If you want to go and actually have your personal standards understood by other people, you need to sell them. If you want to go have the project standards lifted up so that there's a new ceiling, you have to go sell them. We're all salespeople, but it doesn't mean that we're trying to sell for dollars. What we're trying to do is excite the imagination of people about the idea that we've got. And if that idea is actually an enhanced standard, it's actually working out how do you get them to be as excited about that potential as you are? Otherwise, you might actually attack their ego and say, I think you're less than. What you're trying to do is excite their imagination that there's more than. And if you can do that sales trick, then you're going to go very far in that management process. Elliot, is there something that we've missed out here, something that you need to cover off before we finish up? Not really. Uh, it was just really interesting to learn about everybody's like industries and how you guys all, like, yeah, how the industries work and uh, what it's like to work in the industry. So that was really interesting. Thank yeah, you. and that's what, that's what we find with these town halls is that we're because we've got people coming from a very diverse background, geography, areas of practice, that we get a lot of learning which is happening and calibration. And so one of the things that we don't understand when we're at university and we're doing our degrees is that there's learning which is about calibration as well as learning which is about new knowledge or new techniques. And so hopefully part of what you're getting out of this is some calibration of, yeah, actually, 
I, I was across all of those points. Yeah, I, I, I knew what was going on there, which now gives you a new standard to actually elevate yourself. Or there might be the sneaky one you put in your back pocket and you say, I didn't know that little trick, but I've got it now and I can go use it. Aquila, help us out here. Is there anything that we've missed out on that we need to go focus on? Um, I think all the points that's been um, mentioned today are very, very interesting and very useful. Um, so it, it's great to hear, uh, you know, the young generations or our generations to discuss more about this. And I think um, for me uh, at Align, I think we, we try to take the best of what's what we've created and feed that into the next project, you know, lesson learned and pursuit of um, getting better every time. Um, but I think that's been mentioned already. So I think I think that's my takeaway uh, from, from today's sessions. That's a, that's a pretty good position to be in there that you actually think um, that we've uh, wrapped that up pretty well. Lucy, you mentioned in the chat here that you're in the process of working out um, who will be your next mentor. How do you know that you're going to have a good mentor when you start to go do that? Any idea what a mentor looks like? They're pretty hard to work out, aren't they? Yeah, it is. It, it can be a challenging process. I think for me, I, I've really over the years tried to build up a network of, of people in the industry at, at various levels. And I think it's also someone that you feel you can just communicate well with on, on various levels. That can be both a, a personal perspective and also on, on the work side. And just yeah bring bring up a conversation together where that can sort of where your mentor can can help guide you through through that with with different levels of, of experience and and how that that can support someone younger and, and earlier in in their career as well so it it's been that sort of tandem between between the two of you going i think and and a mentorship sort of cements that so yeah that's kind of how how i see it uh, and, th and thank you for saying that because you're right on the money there. You need to work out that there's some synergy going on there. But it definitely is somebody that you actually respect what they're about and you think that they can help slingshot you further into, into your own career, which is a bit yeah. funny, Will, isn't it? If somebody turns around and they're going to be a mentee and you realise they're going to take some of what I've got for them and they're going to go much further than I am. But that's part of what's inspiring because we all want to go see how people go further. Um, Vivian, help us out here. Have we covered everything? Have we missed out something? What's your final words? Um, going more on what Akula said about um, standards protecting people, a good example came to mind was the uh, accessibility standards within UI design about like um, a certain color against a certain background. Like some people cannot see the color because of um, either color blindness or whatever. So I think it's a good perspective to have like, are oh, these standards sometimes exist for a reason to protect other people and um like whether it's your personal standards or a legislative standard it's a good way to get perspective on from other people and understand why it exists so i think it's a good thing that uh, personal standards get challenged for that reason um so you can further develop that and you know strive for a high level of excellence with that elasticity and and that's a very important thing that we remember that we need to make sure that those accessibility standards are there so that we've got diversity and inclusion in, in projects. India, help us out here. What have we missed? What have we covered too much of? What do you need to say before we go? Um, I, I think we've touched on so many interesting subjects that we could 
delve into a lot further at another time, maybe, Mark. Um, so yeah, thanks, thanks for the opportunity to be involved. It's been great. Um, I, I think, uh, yeah, I would have loved to discuss um, the Miami and, and Greenfield ideas a bit further because it's really interesting, you know, we're saying, well, they don't meet the standards, but the condo in Miami was built in the 80s. So what was the standard then? And, and how do we make sure that old buildings are meeting the current standards? Because it's a really big issue. Um, and I think we're going to see more and more things, disasters like that come up in yep. this global world. So, yeah, it's interesting. And, I and then, so I think you brought up something really interesting there, which is the my understanding of the initial... Um, reports out of the Miami scenario was that the building was made to the, to the current standards at the time, that there had been some maintenance challenges that the building, because of a lack of maintenance, had, um, uh, had lowered its engineering um, compliance and that there were um, correction orders that were in place but they hadn't been enforced and they hadn't evacuated the building. So it's very, there's the similarity between the Grenfell and the Miami is very interesting that there was knowledge, there wasn't the minimum intervention to protect the humans that were occupying the building. And even after the building came down in Miami, the attitude of the city wasn't, everybody must move out of the remaining building until it's deemed safe. It was if they want to. You go, no, 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 it's not if they want to. With COVID, we saw you lock people down because it's for their own protection. You know, the, we, we see civic um, leaders that sometimes they turn around and that they think too much about getting re-elected and they forget how much they've got their responsibility to protect other humans. That's why they've got the job and that's why they're the expert that's there. Um, Maria, help us out here. What haven't we covered? And, um, you know, it's only a couple of minutes to get to Walkie Dog. Yes. Okay, good. And then I have a meeting in 18 minutes. Um, I'll probably take it while walking the dog, actually. Uh, well, I guess I kind of have a meta comment to make in that um, I feel like um, we've discussed, you know, that standards are something that will, you know, apply across the industry um, or they'll be, you know, company-wide or just an individual standards. Um, whereas excellence is something that's just very subjective. Um, and everyone has, you know, their own definition of excellence. And so I think here comes the meta part. It takes conversations like this to figure out, you know, what excellence means to everyone. Um, and then just have those voices then be, you know, inserted into the profession so that there's many definitions of excellent. And, and actually, and I think you're 100% right, but it goes back to um, what Stefan was saying, you've got the idea that um, there's a sales process. How do you make sure that you're selling into people by mentioning? You know, if you've, if you've just thought it and you've never brought it up, never socialized it, it's going to be a shock to people. If you can turn around and have those conversations, which is let's try to calibrate against each other what standards are, we're likely to go get there. And that, that's a very good thing. Charmy, how about for you? What is it that we have, haven't covered or need to cover? We have almost covered everything. In fact, I have got a more and 
bigger view on excellent especially like uh, india has a different definition and stephen had a different that gave me a good perspective about two completely different things so yeah i i am from here i'm going with a completely different point of view the both are uh, completely perfect in their own senses so yes so it's a wonderful thing like where the people have a different perspective but and completely different idea so you get a vision of those ideas also and then a thought that i had before which was about the idea of presenting your own ideas is some point you're going to wind up voicing those ideas around a client who is very impolite and they're going to trample all over those ideas about that imagination of something being better don't let that kill you you, you know i think Zane, you mentioned that you've got really supportive client uh, uh, team around you they probably can't speak up in the meeting because the client is being impolite and they're paying the bills but it's going to be devastating to you when that happens and it will happen to all of you you know will and i have had it happen to us at various stages in our careers it's going to happen to all of you but just remember the people who are your team that they're there to go and see you excel and to see you um, succeed but maybe not everybody can speak up just at that moment it's one of the hard things about when you're sharing your imagination of what could be excellence some people may disagree with you and it, and it can hurt your ego quite a lot in there. Will, help me out here. Take us home. What have you learned as we've talked about excellence and standards with our next generation? Uh, well, I think um, the first thing I'd say, it's been just fantastic to hear from everyone. And, um, you know, the parallels that people are drawing on, you know, despite the fact that we're so far apart from each other in the world. And it's just great to hear the optimism and the, and the, and the thinking that's going on. And uh, I'd certainly endorse your um, thoughts on mentorship. And I think there's a reciprocal conversation about how we can shape the future. Um, this just really taps into there's so much more to cover and I, I really hope this group can come back together at another stage and it's been a real privilege yeah it's been an absolute privilege everybody to have you here for our quarterly next generation global town hall awesome love it where we look forward to seeing you next quarter and thank you so much for lending us your minds and your attention we're humbled thank you everybody thank we're going to make that a wrap thank you well done. Now, Maria's going to disappear really quick because she's got a dog and she's got a meeting that she's got to get to. How about for anybody else? Is there anything that we can help you out before we wrap up the call here? I want to, yes, extend thanks for the invitation. Thanks, Mark. I'm ready for bed now. <laughs> I know. It's, uh, <laughs> it's 10.46. It's quite late, mate. Yeah. <laughs> It's very late, you know, we'll give you a note for in the morning to say <laughs> a late night talk on a call. Yeah. No, it's great, Mark. Well done. <laughs>